0: Right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that! You don't got time! Alright? Let's go!
1: Break it! Break it! Woo!
2: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and
1: horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson
2: on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN.
1: It's a busy time. Busy time for the transfer portal. Another day. Another dirty dollar, man. Go ahead. I I don't even need to say anything else.
2: There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call
1: the transfer portal. Tristan and Aruna has entered the transfer portal. No more Dutch oven. Was it did we ever come
0: to a decision on that? I thought it. It was flying Dutchman.
1: No, it was Dutch Oven. Dutch oven. We asked him. Remember you asked him. Remember we went to Media Days before his freshman year and you asked him which nickname he liked better, and he said the Dutch Oven. So he will depart from Kansas after two years, fifty-five games. Uh, well, how many total points do you think Tristan Enroo scored in two years? Total points.
0: You said he played fifty-five games. Fifty-five, we'll go with 55 games. Fifty-five points. Point a game.
1: Way too low. Way too low. <laughs> how many? One hundred and forty-two. Oh. Which one of those points was your favorite? Uh, did he hit a three?
0: against Duke in the season opener in 2019? He did.
1: Okay, that one. What do you think his career high in points was? Seven.
0: Was it that game?
1: He had five that game. No. Okay. He, he he hit seven once. He eclipsed it twice. Ooh. 12? Wow. Great job, dude. Wow. Yeah, he did. Just warming up for trivia. He scored 12 points against TCU this year. That blowout game. Oh, I do not remember that at all. That blowout was the one that KU just trounced him down in Fort Worth. He had 12 points, seven rebounds, went two of three from three. Monster game. That's probably I would all remember him for. I don't remember that. So that's kind of unfortunate. Tristan and Aruna is an interesting one because he's the guy I hear people like CJ Moore said this a lot um, and I'll see just random people on Twitter say this that man potentials there like I really wish he would stick around and I'd like to see what he had maybe I don't know I'm not even saying that I think the kids no good I just I just don't see it I don't see that like that high ceiling potential that a lot of people do I get it he's long and he's athletic but like, so was Bryant Nash. Do you remember Bryant Nash? Are you thinking LeBron Nash? for Oklahoma State? No, I'm thinking of oh. Bryant Nash. Oh, I don't know Bryant He played Nash. for KU in the early 2000s. And he was like 6'6", 205, wing, just kind of like Adonis, you know what I mean? Just cut, but 4% body fat. And every year, people were kind of like, man, if he can just sort of put it all together, he could be a pretty nice player. Um, he didn't. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's not fair to compare him to Brian. I don't know what Brian Nash is doing now. He averaged a point and a half for his career. That was about as the, that was the most obscure reference I could find, but it came to my mind almost instantly. Uh, I just, even if people think that, you know, he had potential, Do you think he had enough potential to go from playing 10 minutes a game this year to 20 minutes next year? I don't see it. Whose minutes is he taking? That's the problem. He ain't taking Ojai's. He's probably not taking Jalen's. Yeah, I mean, if if Jalen, like,
0: went pro, you know, if you would have had a better March run and he played well and he got to go pro early, then
1: maybe you talk yourself into it. He'll end up—he'll go—I think he'll end up power six. I don't know that Tyon will, but yeah. I think I think Tristan will. I could see Tyon at
0: like a doing really well at a mid major, where he's kind of like the guy, because um, that's what he got to be in JUCO. He was the guy that they were going to, and he was getting all the shots up. And it's kind of complete opposite when you come to Kansas and you're coming off the bench with Tristan. I think you're right. I could see him at like a, a smaller power six. I don't know why. I mentioned like Seton Hall yesterday, and I started to think about it, and I don't know why I could just like see that.
1: The three schools that. I didn't realize this. Uh, 24-7 sports had Tristan Naruna's 55th ranked in the country coming out of high school. And he had offers from Creighton, Miami, Georgia Tech, Illinois. He took visits all in the same week. He went Miami, Creighton, Kansas, Texas Tech, Duke, Kentucky, Texas. I don't think Duke or Kentucky offered him. I would... I could totally see Texas Tech going after him. Could totally see that. They love, he, they always, Chris Beard's always got that one long athletic wing. They didn't have it this year, though. But I feel like to be a Texas Tech player, like, you have to be,
0: there's almost like a mentality to it. Almost like that. Grinder? Yeah, the grinder. Almost like, angry is not the right word, but um,
1: I just don't really see that with Tristan and Aruna. Like I said yesterday, like the noticeability just wasn't there. I'm not saying he didn't like hustle or try or anything like that. It's just like that high-intensity type player. He never struck me as that. It was more of a... <laughs> I don't know, There's no way... Like I was going to say relaxed, but even if I say he played, oh, he played sort of relaxed, lack... it sounds like lackadaisical. It sounds like not really trying as hard. I don't know. I just never really saw it with him. I think there's Probably a program like Creighton might be a good fit because Creighton plays a lot of small ball. You put him in at a small ball four. I don't know. I just think that he needs to get polished a little bit. There's got to be something else to the game besides athleticism. Like, do you have the ability to beat somebody off the dribble? Are you going to be a stretch four that rebounds really well? Are you going to provide rim protection down low? Are you just going to be sort of this rim r- running big that can get six or eight points a game all off dunks and putbacks? Are you going to fine tune your shot? Like, I don't even know what he shot from three for his career. Uh, But I don't know how many threes did he take. 13 of 53. So that's obviously not really a part of his game at this point either. But I think he has a—I would still say I think he has a better chance of ending up like power six than Tyon. Where else was Tyon looking at going?
0: I don't know if he announced a list, but— No,
1: I mean before he committed to Kansas. I
0: don't know. Um, If I were to tell you that one of these two guys ends up having— I don't even want to say Quentin Grimes because that's too far. I mean, Quentin Grimes is in the final four now, 13 All-American, so I don't want to go that high. But just in terms of, like, the mantra of how a lot of KU fans watch Quentin Grimes last night, and it's almost like a bit of jealousy. Like, oh, I wish we could have kept him. Which of those players do you think has a better chance of that happening? Where you look up in March and you're like, man, how could we not make room for Okay, Tristan.
1: I mean... I don't know the circumstances that led Tyon going to JUCO out of high school. If he was just more of a project, if I don't know, I don't because there's a variety of reasons why somebody would go JUCO, and it's not always because you're not good enough. But he did go JUCO. Tristan and Aruna went was a was a four star prospect, and he's a top fifty, top sixty kid coming out of high school. And those two guys, essentially battling for minutes, one of them was playing pretty consistently, the other one wasn't. Now I don't know again the circumstances behind that, but I would definitely go with Tristan. Like I, I could see, I could see Tyon going to a mid major. I, I don't think Tristan will end up at a mid major. Do you agree? So I agree on the
0: assessment that. One could end up at a mid-major and the other one could end up at a whatever power six program or whatever you want to call it. There's part of me that wants to disagree if you're just talking about this year because, with you, what you mentioned with Tristan and Aruna, like I think there's a lot of polishing left needed to be done. I could see a situation where tie on like if we're just looking at it from the outside where we haven't watched these guys every game and all of a sudden you just look up at the stat sheet and it's like wow this guy's averaging 16 and 5 man we could have used that and I think that's more likely to be tie on for that exact reason like I could see tie on going to whatever for instance you you go UMKC and he might end up being the best player on UMKC next year you know in that situation and he goes up there and he is all WAC first team and it helps us take his game to another level and you see him in a conference tournament game that you're just randomly scrolling through the channels through next march and you're like man where was this guy
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what even if that does happen like that's not the way i know KU fans yeah it's you have a tendency to, to look at it and say oh man wish he would have stayed like it's not i don't think this is KU pushing guys out the door okay no. They didn't push Quentin Grimes out the door. They're not pushing either one of these guys out the door. It didn't fit for whatever reason. They're going to go somewhere where they have better opportunity. And for KU's sake, while they didn't push him out the door, I'm sure they saw it coming. And it's probably for the betterment of both parties because now KU can go after positions that are in more dire need. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, it's the same thing we've been saying for the past week. You're going after ball handlers. You're going after playmakers and shot creators. Specifically, the two names that keep popping up more and more, Ty Ty Washington. The the high school senior from Phoenix, point guard, 6'4". And I think you're also looking at this McKissick kid from UMKC. There's also the Pettiford, the point guard, decommitted from Louisville. He's out there as well. And there's a kid who just left Marquette. Yeah, he's a center, though. But now that
0: you have two scholarships, you know, maybe one's on the point guard, maybe one's on this kid. I was reading up on him today. He's like a shot-blocking center. Which, it's always nice to have a rim protector.
1: Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen with David. Um, you know, he wanted to go last year, right?
0: There's also no... Like, I know we hypothesized that Tyon Grant-Foster and Tristan Enaruno would be the ones that would transfer just because they're guys that you think could be good enough to play at other places, and they're not in line to play here. I don't know what makes us think that there couldn't be other guys, too. You know, what happens if you're a Latrell Giselle and you say, man, I'm already behind Dewan Harris. Like, I'm behind whoever else at the point guard. Now they're bringing in other guys. They're going to keep recruiting other guys, you know. At what point do you just say, and, and I don't know, you know, maybe he does think he can fit into a role. Maybe he does think that he wants to stay here for uh, many years. You know, there are certain guys that are fine with that, like Mitch Lightfoot.
1: Well, that's the thing. Uh, Latrell Giselle... He wasn't a top 100 guy. I don't even think he was a top two. He came out of nowhere. like Nobody had heard of him. Yeah. So he chose Kansas, right? I don't think Luchel Giselle saw that and said, oh, I'll be starting by year two. Agreed with that, but I also think it'd be a little naive to
0: expect that every high school kid doesn't just see the offer and go, oh my gosh, I get to play there. And they actually like evaluate the depth chart, and am I going to be recruited over stuff like that? So again, maybe you know it's like Mitch Lightfoot, where you're comfortable being a role player for your career, but maybe not. And I have no reason to expect one way or another, but I'm just saying, it's not impossible that a guy like Latrell Giselle or Jethro Musketin wanted to join too in the transfer portal.
1: Muscadine, uh I, I think I keep we say, I think we keep saying his name. I think it's muscadin Muscadine, yeah. Because of the position he's at, Dave has got one more year at most. Like Dave's gonna test. Yeah. After the year well, he, he had, two years if he wanted. Right. I don't think he'll do that. Probably not. Say he'll be in the same boat Marcus Garrett was in. Um. But if that's the if that's what you believe, you could make a yeah strong case that maybe he'll just say I'm oh, screw it. He probably won't be a drafted player. No. But
0: we see people go when they're not going to be drafted all the time.
1: So if I'm if I'm now, I'm thinking I gotta pretty decent line at getting some playing time by the time I'm a junior now maybe. is he interested in that maybe not I mean what happens if okay you're bringing on this juco kid Sidney
0: Curry and it sounds like he's basically a five for I mean he's 6a 260 jack like I, I don't think he's a shooter he's not going to be playing the four so he's going to be playing the five you're competing for him with minutes a guy who's older than you and I mean from what we've seen from Moose get in he's more of a project he needs to get weight on him so I think I kind of look at Sidney Curry and say he'll probably be ahead of him on the depth chart And then on top of that, like, you mentioned the Marquette kid. What happens if you go out two on top of it and you go, oh, we landed this top 60 prospect, a center?
1: At this point, even though I expect Kansas to focus on guards, going back to Bill Self's comments after the game on Monday, I think you're probably going out and looking to add the two best players you can. If If it's two players, you're going out and looking to add the two best players you can. I think that the main point of need here is going out and getting a playmaker and a shot creator. But if you can get one of those guys who you would think at that point, let's say you get Ty Ty Washington. You're probably thinking, okay, well, he's going to attract some defensive attention if he works out the way we think he will. Well, he's going to make everybody around him better. So maybe we don't need to add another guard to to, at that point... You've already got Christian Brown and Bryce Thompson competing for minutes. You know Ochai is going to play, and you feel pretty good about the chance that that Jalen's going to play a lot of minutes. As much as there was sort of this up-and-down structure to his season, it was also a freshman year, kind of like we saw with Ochai, and then you just start to see more consistency with more experience. If going out and adding another big guy, and not to mention you've got Zach Clements and KJ Adams, they're not all going to compete for minutes, but... You feel like that three four spots pretty well spoken for. Go and add some front court depth if if that's if you think going out and getting a guy like that's better than getting a, a kid like McKissick who maybe you wonder about the the talent level that he was playing against then then so be it I think talent is the big keyword here. Go out and get the best players you can, regardless of position. With I think I guess the caveat that you get at least one playmaker slash. Ball handler with now these two open spots that you have. We'll talk more about this on the other side and with Matt Tate coming up here in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Jog Sports Talk get your car washed
0: because it's probably dirty right now whether it's you know washing all the germs out you want to get obviously the germs out of your car but also you want it to look really nice go to tommy's express car wash it's wash rinse repeat with tommy's and guess what they have an app it's the tommy club app so download it i know you have a smartphone so you're going to be able to download apps you don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast i'm just assuming that and if you do more power to you but if you do Then you're missing out on this great deal Because if you download the Tommy Club app today You're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash That's unlimited car washes Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations And there are a lot of them Unlimited guest service Most importantly, unlimited happiness That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash
1: So, officially now, two spots to fill for Bill Self and this coaching staff. The transfer portal gets more robust by the day. So, there's plenty of guys out there, but I guess it's about finding the right guys. Let's talk about who those guys might be. With Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, who joins us now on the show. Matt, over the last 24 hours or so, we have seen departures from both Tyon Grant-Foster and Tristan and Aruna who have entered their names into the transfer portal. We talked about this last week. I don't think that's a huge surprise for either one of those guys leaving. Do you think it's done, or do you expect more departures, whether it's transfer portal or even guys trying their hand at the NBA draft?
2: Yeah, I don't know if I expect it, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, that that's uh... – that's, that's kind of how you have to look at it. I think a lot of it is about, um, you know, who, who can they bring in, right? And there's a lot of guys available. As you mentioned, I don't know if you're fully, fully familiar with the, the ins and outs of the transfer portal, but I think it went over the 1,000 player mark on Monday. I mean, that's just outrageous to me. It, it's just, it's just absolutely outrageous and you know part of me wants to hate it because it's it's free agency and because it's just people you know coming and going and coming and going but but the other part of me wants to wants to enjoy it wants to like it because i do think that sometimes kids get in a situation where the place you know either wasn't what they thought it was or didn't fit them or the coaching them didn't gel like they had hoped and and sometimes it goes the other way where uh, a program ends up with a kid that that you know Oh gosh that's that's not the player we thought we were getting at all, and you know so the opportunity for these kids and coaches and programs to kind of come together and have these conversations about, hey, is it best for you to maybe move on or hey, I'm gonna take off, is that all right you know i mean like that that that's great to me I think that that on on some level should be an option because these kids get such a limited number of years and limited time frame to be able to Play college basketball and, and do it, you know, where they want to do it and, and contribute. So um, I, I don't hate it entirely, but I do think the the whole the whole idea of of free agency and just how many kids are involved in this thing and how quickly it's it's an easy answer and an easy decision um, kind of blows my mind. It just doesn't doesn't seem real still. So I know that kind of got off the topic or, or a little. Tangent well, you know what's here. weird
1: about that though. I'm glad you brought it up because. You know, you'll hear the quotes from the coaches who say they hate it. It's like the wild, wild west. It makes things so difficult. Yet, everybody's benefiting from it, right? Like, can we knew at the end of the season, Kansas needed to go out and make some changes to this roster. So while, yeah, you may lose guys like Tristan and Aruna and Tom Grant Foster, like, you needed, you needed spots to open up if you want to go out and make some big changes to the roster this offseason. So I, I kind of wonder where it comes from because I feel like everybody's getting hurt by it, but it also gives everybody an equal chance to benefit from it.
2: Yeah, I, I like that because I, I don't think I, – I like what you said there. I don't think it's a guarantee that everybody benefits from it. But if you do get screwed on one end by a kid bailing on your program or whatever – you do have the opportunity to go out there and, and immediately find a you know a suitable replacement. Maybe it's not the best fit, maybe it's not the exact same size or position or whatever, but maybe it's better. Maybe it ends up working out better. So it, it is the opportunity to do that and, and at least you're not left high and dry where you gotta go find the you know, unsigned high school kid who got picked over a hundred times and nobody wanted in the first place and now you're stuck with him as a as yeah. a key part of your team you know that that that's not cool either um but it does hurt the high school kids there's no question about that i mean these coaches are in the position where you know now they can just sit back and and wait for a kid to enter the transfer portal and especially with this one-time transfer exemption if that does pass next month which i think everybody still expects that it will gosh now now you're looking at a you know you're looking at a situation where why wouldn't a coach of a, of a high major program take a kid who's been playing college basketball for three years, who understands what college life is like, who has physically and emotionally and mentally matured a little bit versus taking a gamble on a three- or four- or five-star high school kid that, you know, there's a lot of potential there, but you're going to have to put in some patience and you're going to have to do the waiting game for him to, you know, maybe adjust to that level and also you know, get to the point where he actually is what you think he is because there's no guarantee that is going to happen. Even with the five star kids, they don't all pan out. You know, so I, I think you know coaches are, as much as it's another thing on their plate and, and in some ways a headache, it does it does provide them with the opportunity to go, you know, take a a, a, a smaller gamble on a more proven prospect, and and so I think there's an advantage there for sure. Um, but, but, you know, I was looking through the steals, um the other day, and, and the East, let, let's look at Eastern Washington, since everybody knows who they are now. Tanner Groves, the big burly lumberjack, his younger brother, who was equally as impressive against KU in that first-round game, and Mike Meadows, who was their best guard in that game. They're all in the portal. Now, their head coach took another job, so I don't blame those kids for going and looking for an opportunity to play somewhere else, um, and and maybe they'll be able to jump up a level, maybe not. I don't know, but but probably they were they were all pretty good, talented players, and and led their team to the tournament. But now, what are you at Eastern Washington without those three guys? You know, and so so you said a minute ago it benefits everybody, and and there's a there's a, a, a limited example of. It, it probably doesn't benefit Eastern Washington. This probably isn't helping helping them, you know I mean now. That's probably again triggered because their coach left to take the job at Portland. So if he stays, those three guys maybe all stay as well, and then they run it back, and maybe they get to the Sweet 16, and it's you know bliss for the Eagles. All that, but but I, you know I just it's hard to look at those things, and 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 I didn't even look for any more. But there may be another Eastern Washington player in there. I mean, those are just three that jumped out at me real quick. So I, I you know I don't know. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any need to really define it. I don't think there's, I don't think it really matters what, what you say it is or what I say it is, or even what Bill self says it is. I think it's, it is what you make it. It is um, different things to different people and, and at different times. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's the best thing ever. Sometimes it's kind of a headache and sometimes it's, you know, everything in between. So I think it's cool. It exists, but I do think it's changing I do think it's changing college basketball in a major, major way. And uh, I don't think that's probably slowing down anytime
1: soon. How quickly do you expect this staff to move? Because in in one regard, you know, if there's, there's a guy out there that you want, then I'd imagine you want to get him locked up, right? One in the hand worth two in the bush, something like that. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, in the yeah. other regard, as you mentioned, there's more and more names being added to the transfer portal By the day, so what does Kansas do? Do they play the waiting game to see if more attractive options or guys they think would be better fits hit the market, or are they going to try and get guys locked up as quickly as possible?
2: I think you got to go with the latter. I I think you have to go with, you know, as long as there are guys that you view as players that can come in and help you and guys that you want on your team, you know, then then I think you, you, you're, you're running a risk of, of playing that waiting game and, and waiting in vain, you know? So I I think there are a lot of options out there already. Um, and there's still some high school options that, that you know, that they are definitely interested in and looking at. And, and I'm sure you've talked about them all week and, and we've written about them. And I mean, you know, that, so just because the portal is an option doesn't mean that you have to pass on a, on a top 40 kid who's, you know, maybe just decommitted or, or, um, still unsigned for some reason, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's still an option, but, but you're talking about top 40 type players there. You're not talking about the 100 to 140 type of player, you know? So that's where I think the dilemma comes in. Do I want this kid who's ranked 125th, or do I want this kid who's played three years of college basketball already? And, you know, I kind of know what he is at this level. And, and so um, you know, how, how do you make that decision? It's much harder. I, I think at, at the end of the day, if you can still get, you know, like this Ty Ty Washington kid or, or, uh, Bobby Pettiford, um, you know, those are the two that, that decommitted from, from, uh, Creighton and Louisville, you know, now two big time programs there. So if KU can get in and, and find a way to get either or both of those guys, I think you still go for it. I, I don't think you have to fall in love with the portal, but, you do have to have opportunities to, to kind of look through that thing and see, hey, can this help me at all? And and I, I think uh I, I would if you know, I haven't I haven't talked to them at all about it, at least not recently, but um I would move fast if it were me. I think I, I think because of what you said, because everybody out there stands to benefit from it, you're going to have competition from all corners of the country potentially. I mean, you just look at the kid from from Marquette or who had committed to Marquette and, and Wojo and, and now he decommitted, and, you know, KU was in the mix for him, the seven foot, uh, what's his name? Jonas Adu. Um, you know, the first call he got was from Roy, Roy Williams and, uh, and, and then, you know, today, several other programs are in on him. KU I'm sure is at least kicking the tires cause they were in on him, you know, late and, and, uh, in the mix for him when he committed to Marquette, so you know it's just it's just like why if you have a chance at a kid like that or, or either of these other guys we just talked about, why let other teams realize that they need to get in on them and take a shot at them? You know why not just make it happen if uh, if if you think it'll help your roster? And and that's what it all comes down to. I mean, could could Tyon and and Tristan and have stayed here and, and panned out and? and helped KU and, and turned out to be good players, they definitely could have. But, um, you know, there's no guarantee that was going to happen. And, and uh, you know, they may have been tired of waiting around if it didn't. So it, it, it does, just because it's kind of a, a, a total reboot in some ways, it doesn't mean it's bad for the program or the player. I think those guys both have a chance to really benefit from this as well. And so it's, it's not all program, program-centric, if that makes sense.
1: Now you've already got three guys on the hook for next year with Zach Clemens, KJ Adams, and Sidney Curry. Have you gotten a sense at all as to how those guys are expected to figure into the mix for next year?
2: Not yet, because I think it's it's you know it's it's yet to be determined, right? I mean we're still we're still watching this roster be built, and uh, if if they add a seven footer and and maybe another big guy, then. That probably changes, which I'm not saying they will, but but you know if they were to get a do and and uh, you know that definitely changes if, if they got another big guy that, that would change the way things look um, in the front court and, and not only the way things look on paper and and when you're filling out lineups and things like that, but also maybe how you decide to play. So um, it, it, it I think until until these two spots and and if any others come open are uh, are filled, then I don't think. I don't think we really know. You know, I mean, I think that obviously Self said uh, after that USC loss that he wants this team to be more athletic. They need to be more athletic. And and I know that probably confuses people when you let Tyon go and and you let uh, Inaruna go because those are two of your more more athletic dudes. I don't think anybody would argue that. But I think the idea from what I'm kind of seeing from the outside looking at this is, number one, you're not going to hold a kid here you know, against his will. I mean, if if Caion and and Aruna come into your office to say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna transfer. I want to play somewhere else. Well, you can't make them stay. You know, that's that's not good business, and it's not fair to the kids. So, it's not as if that was even maybe an option. But what what I'm gathering by you know all the self comments about both of those guys is that you know maybe maybe by athletic, he, you know, he means specifically more athletic in the front court and maybe more athletic in the back court because with Ochai, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson—those uh, three guys right there alone could play on the wing for you. And and you know if you if you can go find a way to, to bolster your front court with some size and athleticism, well then you could play two bigs next year real easily. And and if you can go out and get some explosive, athletic, you know ball hawking defender types in the backcourt that can score and and really push the pace and make life miserable for the other team on both ends. Well, you know, then you can then you can play two or three of those guys at a time, too. And and so I think it just kind of – it's almost the polar opposite of what we saw this year where they had so many wings, and they were trying to make that work. And, and it just – it didn't fit any particular style. It didn't fit what they wanted to do, and it, it didn't in some ways. You know, the reason that, that Tyon and, and Inaruna didn't really ever get the chance to, to find their way into the rotation, um, you know, beyond maybe nine or ten minutes here and there. Was, was probably the fact that it just didn't fit with the rest of the roster either. So I know it seems counterintuitive. I know it seems a little little odd to say we want to get athletic or we want to get more athletic and then to let two, you know, long athletes go. But I do think it's probably, you know, with the idea of eyeing, let's get athletic in the backcourt. Let's get the Jay Graham, D Brown, Mario Chalmers type of players. And and uh, you know Devon Dotson those types and and then if we can find a guy like a seven footer who's a, a, a decommitted high school kid too who can help us out and be more athletic maybe up against somebody like Evan Mobley then we'll take that guy too so I don't think it's like oh all bets are off they don't care about athleticism anymore I, I think that's so far from the truth I think it's just about where they want to where they want to stack that athleticism if that makes sense.
1: Matt Tate, LJ World, Ku Sports, with us here for a few more minutes. Um, It's been about three weeks, Matt, since Jeff Long departed. Is there any sort of update on the AD front for Ku?
2: Um, Yeah, it's been pretty quiet, obviously. Um, And I think you know, I think that uh, you know, what did Gerard say? On it was March 10th, I think, that he said within a, a few weeks and. I think the word "few" is something that means different things to different people. I think to a lot of people, a few is three, right? Is that how you view it?
1: Sure. Yeah. At least three, four seems like a little bit more than few, doesn't it?
2: I think so. I've always viewed the word "few" as three.
1: Yeah, I like that.
2: But but because it's not two, two is a couple,
1: mm-hmm. right? All right. All right.
2: So if you were going to say we'll have it done in a couple of weeks, I would expect you to have it done in two weeks. If you say few, I think three weeks is reasonable, and and like you said, maybe not quite four, but but three to four seems fair. So anyway, that was that was twenty days ago. Now that he said that, when um, like you said, when when Jeff was was uh, was out the door. So I think you know I, I think it, from what I hear and. and the limited ability to, to kind of talk to people that I've had, I, it seems like the, maybe having something resolved by the end of this week is a little tight. I don't, I don't know that, that that's in the cards, um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if next week becomes pretty realistic. And uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't know. I, I mean, AD searches are so hard because um, they're not as well known as football coaches. They're not, super popular names. They try to keep it as quiet as they can, even more so than football coaches on some level. So, um, you know, I, I, from everything I've heard, it's going really well. Um, they're encouraged by, by the process. They're encouraged by, you know, some of the people they've, they've been able to reach out to and, and have conversations with and things like that. Um, but as far as finalists or any list of candidates or anything like that, I, I don't think they're quite to that point yet. Um, but again, I you know, it's very it's very tight lipped and, and I don't I haven't heard too much about it other than the fact that, that I I know people are pleased with how it's going and and uh you know, I think that I I my gut tells me this is not hearing this from anybody. It's just kind of evaluating the way this whole thing's played out. I mean, my gut tells me that they're gonna have to hire a, a sitting athletic director. And, you know, if that's a power five person, so be it. That would be obviously a really a really nice pull because you're taking somebody from the same type of level and bringing them on to your side of the, the the table but if it's a group of five guy, you know, or gal, that's that's not the worst thing either. I just think I think experience is so important and I think I think that's probably true at any point when you're any time you're hiring an athletic director, but I think it's so much more true with this particular hire for Kansas because of everything that's on the horizon. I mean, immediately walking in the door, you've got to hire a football coach. Everybody knows that Um, shortly thereafter, however many months or whatever the timeline becomes, you're definitely going to have to be a part of leading this department through whatever comes of the NCAA mess, and, and, and the sanctions that come down if if any, and all of that stuff and and so those are two really big things you know that 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 it would be really hard i think to throw at at somebody sitting in the a d chair for the first time so um that doesn't mean it has to be a retread that doesn't mean you know that if they that if they don't hire someone who's a sitting ad that that that's a fail i mean i just that's just how i view it i think that i think that given the the climate and the circumstances that are surrounding the university right now or the athletic department anyway i think that it's going to be really important for them to get somebody who they they feel confident stepping into those those roles and and filling those duties because it's those are big i mean program shaping future changing type of moves that, that you're going to have to be a big, big part of. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I kind of get the feeling that something by maybe by the end of the next week, like I said, is, is realistic. Um, doesn't mean it can't change. Doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. Uh, it's all depending on your definition of few. And now that we've mapped that out for everybody, then, you know, people can decide what few means to them and, and then they can get up in arms and outraged (laughs) if it it doesn't happen according to their definition, or they can just sit back and and see how it plays out. That's, you know, I've, I've been making calls almost every day, maybe not as much when I was in Indy, but uh, certainly before that. And and, and since I've been home and just trying to figure out who knows what, what I can find out. And and it's just, it's tough. It's it's, uh, it's, they they make these searches really, really tight lipped for a reason. And and they're doing a good job of that with this one.
1: All right, keep us posted, man. We're waiting over here with bated breath. So, you hear it's anything? Big deal. I mean, it, it, just yeah, call right big into big the big hotline, deal. man. We'll get you on whenever. We'll we'll cut whatever we're doing to, you to got get a Matt red Tate phone up there. there for me. <laughs> That's exactly right. We've got two phones. We've got one normal phone, and then we got the Matt Tate emergency hotline.
2: Love it, love it. I appreciate that. The rotary, I hope. Right? Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. We keep Good. it old school around here, Matt. Thank you for the time, <laughs> as always, man. I appreciate you
2: all right man it's gonna be a fun few weeks whatever happens with all of that stuff i mean that you know usually when when basketball season ends there's a little bit of a lull and uh there's not right now there, i mean there's there's a lot of activity around basketball still and and uh and both of those searches the 80s search and the football search, are, are massive massive things for the future of this uh university so not quiet relaxing calm times by any means but uh We'll see, what, we'll see what they can make of it. It'll be very interesting, though. Thanks again, man. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care.
1: All right. That is Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwartz and
2: Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.
1: So no transfer portal news, but we got some news. KU has a new player, a new addition. His name is Bobby Pettiford. Mm. He hails from Durham, North Carolina, where he attended the South Granville of Business and Global Communications. That's a mouthful, and it doesn't really make sense to me. I don't care about that. Bobby Pettiford was a Louisville commit. A six foot one point guard, 175 pounds, uh, decommitted from Louisville yesterday. He started. There started to become some traction towards Kansas, and he just committed. I just found this is funny. I just found a story from March
0: 25th, so five days ago. The headline of the story: Uh, Four Star. Bobby Pettiford taking his time after opening recruitment
1: (laughs) wait when did he open his recruitment last Saturday (laughs) love it interesting so point guard uh, I was just watching a little bit of tape on him before the uh before we got back from break there and you know it's tough for me to really get a full scouting report on the guy in four minutes um He's not a big guard. He's like I said, six foot one hundred and seventy-five pounds. Um, I saw a lot of saw a lot of driving and layups, and that's about as much as I got for you. Okay? That's what this
0: says. Twenty-four-seven sports report says that he is an athletic, dynamic point guard. He uh, makes plays at the rim. So uh, that sounds kind of like the guy that Bill Self wanted to bring in. A guy who is athletic, who is a guard, who can be the lead guard.
1: Oh my gosh. What'd you say yesterday? You said that you were gonna miss having a three initial player on the team. You just got one. You were sad that KU was losing Tyon Grant Foster, TGF. Oh, yes. BPJ. Wait, what? BPJ. Where's the oh the junior? Bobby Pettifer okay. Jr. I can I can They call Michael Porter like Jr. That. MPJ. Yeah. Okay. BPJ. Love it. Love it. You're loving, loving it, aren't you? Awesome. We're good. Awesome. So there we go. Uh, he is ranked 88th in the 24-7 sports composite. So, here's what is an important thing to, to note here. Um, KU now, like Pettiford, just based off of the high school players, of which he's the third, right? You have Sidney Curry, who's a Juco player. Zach Clements, KJ Adams, now Bobby Pettiford. Pettiford's actually ranked below both of those high school players. Zach Clements is ranked 39th. K.J. Adams ranked 71th, Bobby Pettiford 88th. So in one regard, you would say addressing a need. You needed point guards. You need playmakers, um, ball handlers. He's one of those guys. Flip side of that is how much do you expect a guy who's ranked 88th to come in and play right away? In terms of filling a void left by Marcus Garrett is this the type of player you expect to come in and immediately compete to be a starter on this team? It's hard. I I don't know yeah. the answer to that question. I'm not trying to insinuate anything. I don't know the answer to that question. What I would say is it's not a slam dunk. If he were, you know, like Ty Ty Washington, ranked 34th, you would immediately expect him to come in and start, if not compete for a starting job. With Pettiford, I don't really think you have that same level of certainty. So I don't know if this means anything to you. Um, Sam Vicini, who does really
0: good work for the Athletic with just kind of draft prospects and some college basketball as well. Um, they, they've they been putting together on the athletic rankings of the top available players, whether it's transfers or freshmen. I haven't seen where this guy is. I'm going to try to pull it up. But here's what he just tweeted. 31st. Okay, which is pretty good because that includes, like I said, transfers and freshmen available. Uh, he just said, Kansas fans can also see where we had him in the post. Uh, honestly, I've been wondering for a few days if we were a touch low on him. Love his athleticism, was a huge fan of his defensive intensity on tape.
1: There you go.
0: Defensive intensity and athleticism. Your questions don't go away. Will he be able to play right away? That's the question. I think long term, we can say this is probably a great gift for Kansas. But, to your point about the right away, I almost wish that there was like another subsect of recruiting rankings for like impact freshmen, like, when they get there? You know, because the recruiting rankings are done based off of your, like—I I forget what the year amount, if it's four-year trajectory or just, like, basketball career no, trajectory. No, I think it's—we uh, we it's talked,
1: talked to Jerry Meyer, who's, like—I uh, I don't know if he still is. He was the director of scouting for 24-7, and he said, like, the—what what they are evaluating is your entire basketball career. Like, that's okay. what they're ranking it based off
0: so, of. So, see, I wish we could see just freshmen in college basketball, because how many times— have we seen it both ways? How many times have we seen, perfect example, Tristan and number 55 recruit in the country, 30 spots higher than this kid, come in and not be able to play for his first two years? Mm-hmm. We've seen that a lot. How many times, though, have we seen a player, whether it's like, like Drew Timmy, last year he came off the bench, but people were saying he was even better than Philippe Petrashev last year, who was the WCC player of the year. He was, he's in year two, and Drew uh, Timmy was, I think, like the 60th recruit, mm-hmm. or like, uh, Oh, was the kid for Iowa State? Talon Horton Tucker? He wasn't like a top 50 recruit. He was like a first-round draft pick, you know? So I almost wish that we had a separate list for just guys of like what they're going to do as a freshman because I don't know if he's rated 88th because he's a smaller guard. Maybe it's assuming that over the course of his basketball career, it'll be harder for him once he goes to the NBA and beyond. But as an immediate player, what if he is good enough to be, in theory, like a top 30, just incoming freshman for his first year?
1: For what it's worth, rival has now moved Kansas up to the 16th ranked class for 2021, which is kind of funny because like you're losing players. Like Kansas lost two players, so we're gonna look at this recruiting class and it's they're gonna add another player and then and it's gonna jump up even higher and they could be top 10 at that point. And we'd say, "Wow, this is great! This is a great class. What a, this is? This is great. This is awesome." Well, you lost two players too, so. There's no guarantee that those guys are going to be better than the guys who were there. You'd like to think so, but obviously you don't know that. He's a point guard, though, and he's a point guard that, like, if we don't know he's going to play right away, then, to me, could be wrong, to me, this would further solidify my belief that KU's going to go after another guard.
0: I would agree. You still have a scholarship open. And, I mean, if you think about the other positions on the roster— like, they're set enough. You know, you're not like, it's not like 2008 where you can say, oh, our fourth or fifth guy is going to be an All-American of a couple of years. But center position, you know, you think Dave's coming back. You have Mitch. Sidney Curry can play five. Heck, Zach Clemens might be able to play a little five. So you're four deep. And that doesn't even count. You can play Jalen Wilson at the five. So you basically have five guys who can play the five. Um, at your wing positions. So pretty much your three and your four. Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, Ochai Igbaje. Um, KJ Adams and maybe Zach Clements can basically be a four. So you're basically five deep at those two positions. And I'm trying to think if I missed anybody. Oh, Moose get in too at the center. So you're mm-hmm. even six deep there. Um, at the guard position, like the two guard, you could play Bryce Thompson. You could play uh, Dewan Harris. That is your thinnest spot between the one and the two spot compared to those other two where you are five or six deep at those positions. So even though you did get this guy, I think you're 100% right. I think you go out there. And you pair a guy who is maybe more of a future piece, but could impact you right away, with a guy who is a
1: current piece. Yeah, because you mentioned that that piece, and you've brought it up a couple times on the Athletic that is talking about the that ranks the the, the transfers, the transfers, and the recruits. And Pettiford was thirty first. Ty, Ty Washington is fourth on that list. So I don't think, first off, that this is going to change your interest in him unless there's something I don't know. Also, I don't think it would change his interest in KU because he's not going to look at this and say, well, now I'm never going to play. He's going to look at this and say, oh, I'm better than everybody on that roster at that position.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, the ideal thing for Bill Self is... He wants to have two ball handlers, two quick ball handlers can go get a shot on the court at all times. You know, when Dewan Harris is out there, that might not be the case, but DeWan is so good at the other things that as long as the other guy can do that, you should be okay. And you go get that other guy, you create what you talked about a week ago, ultimate guard competition. Mm-hmm. You know, you could convince me that this kid rise above the crop, and Devontae Graham and Frank Mason were both guys, and I almost want to, like, punch myself for even bringing those two up because, you know, those two are... The top 1% of what could happen to a guy who was rated where they were as recruits, committed to Appalachian State or Towson or whatever, and became what they did. But just the idea that you had these guards who were rated lower, and it's not as if Devontae Graham and Frank Mason were guys that only broke out as juniors or seniors. Both of them played as freshmen. You know, Devontae was playing 20 minutes a game as a freshman. Frank Mason was playing 15 minutes a game as a freshman. That's kind of the role I look at with Pettiford. So it doesn't solve that issue where you still need somebody to come in and be one of your best players to be that shot creator and the lead guard who is going to play 30 minutes a game, but it's trending you in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, the competition thing is big because I know there's a lot of people excited about DeWan. and I am too, like... You could argue he was one of Kansas's top three players in the NCAA tournament. Like, those two games, he was really good, especially with what he did defensively. But I just I have my questions about what it's going to look like when he is the guy. Right? And, and again, maybe he is that dude. And that's the other thing we don't know. Like, what is Bill Self and this coaching staff's comfort level with him going into next year? What is their outlook? Do they view him as being a thirty-minute per game guy? That would be a big jump from one year to the next, from being a backup point guard to a guy who hardly ever came off the court, and then in one year turning into a thirty-minute per game dude who is absolutely the alpha of this offense. Like I almost, I almost envision next year like the ideal scenario being. Not what it was in 2008 to the point where like, that's the talent level, but just at being 2008 where you don't really have one point guard. Like, you don't really think of it as, oh, well, Mario's the point guard or Russ is the point guard. You just think of it as you've got two point guards on the court. That is the ideal scenario. Obviously, you're not going to have Mario and Russ. I'm just saying positionally to have two guys who you both think of as, yeah, yeah they both kind of do the same thing out there. Maybe one of them is a better scorer. One of them is a better passer. One of them is maybe a little bit better of a defender. They kind of complement each other well. And maybe that's who this guy is. Maybe Pettiford is the guy who comes in and pushes Harris. Like they look at Harris and like and think, okay, now you've got some competition Now you've got a reason to work your tail off this summer because there's nothing guaranteed. I don't think Bill Self likes that. I don't think Bill Self likes going through a summer being like, oh, but this guy knows he's the guy because there's literally nobody else at his position. Like, you need to get some guys in there. But
0: it pushes for everybody. If you're able to get another guard, too. And it pushes Bryce. It pushes
1: Christian. Yeah.
0: But even the wings. Because if you get another guard, now all of a sudden it's like, no, we are going to play basically two point guards at all time. You know what that means? That means you guys who are threes, you're not going to be able to play the two, you know? Like, Christian, you can't slide over to the two now. We're playing two point guards. Mm-hmm. So there's less minutes to go around there, and now there's more competition for the wing minutes as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only guy who I go into next season thinking, this is your role, it will not be affected whatsoever, is Ochai. Dave? Yeah, I mean, Dave had nobody pushing him this year. Nobody. I don't know what to yeah, I, I have no idea what to
0: expect from Sidney Curry. Sure, but I, I guess, like, the way I viewed that is, like, the floor of Dave is he's going to give you 25 minutes a game, you know?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, like, Oche's the one guy that's, oh, you're playing 33 minutes a game next year. There is nothing that anybody could do to take minutes away from you. You are going to be the dude. And that's why, I, like, like I said earlier, man, the more... Playmakers you bring in, the better it is for guys like Ochai and Christian and Jalen, who aren't forced to create on their own. Like that, the image of the offense and the way that it moved in that game against USC will—it's going to be etched in my brain all off-season. I wish you guys could have seen it on Tuesday afternoon, Derek and I reenacting the Kansas offense. I mean, it was just like dribble between your legs, not really shake anybody or create any separation, dribble into the lane five feet, and then turn around and throw it out to somebody else who would then dribble between his legs for a little bit, a little hezzy, drive five feet into the lane, turn around, kick it out to the next guy, five, four, and then Marcus Garrett's chucking up a contested three. That ain't gonna cut it. You gotta find some guys who can create. Because I do believe that in a more functional offense, Jalen, Christian, Ochi can all be really nice pieces. They just didn't mesh this year. So, you still got one more spot. Who that could go to, we'll talk about with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. We'll do that coming up here in about 20 minutes. Up next, let's recap last night's games. We have two teams officially into the Final Four. Two more tonight. We'll get into all that next. So we've already got two coaches in the final four who have a chance at winning their first NCAA title and Scott Drew and Kelvin Sampson, whoever ends up winning the title this year, it will be a coach winning the title for the first time. Who will that be? Let's talk about it with Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 sports. Let's get into these games from last night. First with Houston, Kelvin Sampson taking this team to a final four in his seventh season down in Houston. And... Kevin, when he took this program over, I mean, this was a downtrodden Houston basketball program. I believe his first year in Houston, they averaged less than 3,000 fans per game. And now, four straight years in the tournament, headed to the Final Four. Just how impressive is the job that Samson has done down there?
3: Uh, I think it's an incredible job. And, and it's one of those things, Where certain teams, you know, you look at them and you can say, okay, they've had success because they just basically go out and recruit better talent than than everybody else. And to a certain extent, they're going to be somewhat successful because they're going to have more talent than the other guys. And I think one of the things that's really impressive about Samson's job at Houston is every single coach out there talks about culture. But I think when you see Houston play, you can recognize culture in action. You know, you, you can tell distinctly if you took Houston's Jersey off and just had them play, you know, somebody else, you, you, you would say, okay, that's a Houston team. I I recognize the style of play, the way that they hit the glass, the way that they defend and all of that. And I think they've been able to identify the right guys in recruiting and transfers who kind of fit that culture and then develop those guys. As well, and, and so it's it's super impressive. It, it's really impressive to do it, you know, obviously without a, a lot of top 100 guys, but I think when you watch Houston play somebody, they don't really take a backseat to anybody athletically either.
1: Yeah, it's it's the speed, right, with the defense and the way that they're able to push the ball up the court that makes them such an incredible team to try and score against. You saw that in the first half against Oregon State last night, and Quentin Grimes a big part of that. He made some really big shots down the stretch. How would you characterize sort of his growth from what we saw at Kansas two years ago to what he's become now as a junior leading that team to the Final Four?
3: We've gotten better in every area, Nick, and I don't think that that's a stretcher or hyperbole, and I I don't think that it would be stretching it to say that had Quentin Grimes stuck it out of Kansas, he probably would have developed in just about every area, but It's been across the board. You know, he shoots it better, you know, both inside and outside the arc. He's a better rebounder. I think his offensive and defensive rebounding rates have both doubled this season from what they were his freshman year. He takes care of the ball well. He showed some flashes of being a good passer at Kansas. I think he does it a little bit more consistently now at Houston and certainly doesn't have the the issues with turnovers that he had his first year at Kansas. And he's a better defender. And so when you look just kind of across the board, you know, he's improved his body. He's a more explosive athlete. I think he has more dunks this NCAA tournament than he had his entire first year at Kansas. Uh, And when you look at just the whole package, it's not like he took one thing and just, you know, Shot that one trait to the moon. It's more like he's he's made legitimate, tangible improvement in pretty much every area. And and I, I thought Fran Fraschilla really put it well on Twitter when he was talking about Grimes, you know, kind of running his own race. But he said one of the impressive things about Grimes transferring was he transferred from a culture of work at Kansas into another culture of work at Houston. You know, it wasn't like he went to play for a, a quote-unquote players coach who was going to say, hey, get your 20 shots up a game. We're just happy to have you. He, he went to a place where he was going to have to buckle down, and I think that we've seen the uh, the benefits of that this year Is he's emerged as, as an All-America-type player, and, and he won his Conference Player of the Year award this year.
1: So for the longest time this season, it was Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. Then maybe at some point, Michigan entered that conversation as well. Illinois as well. Then Baylor had the COVID pause. So we sort of wondered if they still belonged up there with how they looked coming down the stretch of the regular season. I'm not sure anybody's necessarily doubting them now based off how they've looked in the NCAA tournament. So based off the way that they do look and based how unbeatable they've looked for so long this season... Are you giving Houston a shot? What do you think that game is going to look like next week?
3: Yeah, I think you give Houston a shot just because of the way it's going to play out and the way you look at the the different matchups there. You know, I think that if you're looking at how Baylor will try to defend Houston, I would guess that Davion Mitchell would uh, would chase around Marcus Sasser, and while Jerry Butler's a really good defender. You know, that, that gives Quentin Grimes a, a chance to use his strength and his size in that matchup a little bit and, and possibly have some success there. I think Baylor's not necessarily, you know, a team that's dominant on the glass, whereas Houston, that's very much a, a core trait of who they are and what they do. You know, I, I think when most of us watch Baylor you really notice the way Mark Vidal chases the ball and chases rebounds and things like that. Well, Houston's got three or four guys that put in that kind of effort on the glass. And so I do think there's a scenario here where Houston could wind up making this very difficult for Baylor, the way that they trap post guys, et cetera. But I also think that if Baylor makes shots, I'm not sure there's a ton Houston Houston can do, and there's not a ton that a lot of teams can do against Baylor when they make shots, and so that's going to be the interesting thing to see. If Baylor shoots the ball the way that it did against Arkansas, then we're going to have a game on our hands because Houston's very good defensively, and they have some guys that could potentially take care of matchups on the other end and and possibly win on the offensive glass. If Baylor shoots the ball, you know, at the the 40, you know, 45% clip that they've shot at for a lot of a lot of this year, then, you know, potentially we're talking about Baylor having a, a nice walk into the end uh, of the national championship game.
1: What has been different about USC? How have they looked so impressive based off what we've seen through three weeks versus the team that we saw in the regular season who sort of stumbled down the stretch losing four of their last eight?
3: Well, a lot of it is just three-point variance. I mean, two of USC's best, you know, four or five shooting performances for the entire season have come in their last two games against Kansas, and, and then again in the Sweet 16 against Oregon. And so, that was the problem with with USC. This was always a team that was, you know, long and and had athletes and, you know, protected the rim extremely well. They're number one in the nation in two-point field goal percentage defense. So all those things were always there. The issue was that USC didn't always score at a high level, and a lot of that disappears when you go out and you're making double-digit three-pointers in a game, and you're shooting 50% from three, you know, in games. And so as long as USC is making shots, there's really not a whole lot you can do against the Trojans because they still have that, that long defense that's tough to deal with and everything else. I think the issue is USC hasn't been that kind of a shooting team all year, and so you just kind of wonder when that variance or, or when that three-point lucky is going to run out. And if it runs out tonight against Gonzaga, you wonder if USC is going to be able to score enough to, to make it an interesting game.
1: Well, you just sort of maybe answered it a bit, but I'm looking at the numbers now. In the tournament, through three games, 51%. That's the percentage of three-point shots that USC has converted. Can they beat Gonzaga without hitting 45%, 50% of their threes? Probably not, and and
3: I know that that's that's a, a quick answer, but you aren't going to beat Gonzaga without scoring 75 plus points. And it's probably closer to the plus part, right? Like it's, you know, I think Gonzaga has been held underneath 76. I think once this entire season and scored 72 in that game and Gonzaga's a lot better defensively than people give him credit for. And I think that, that was one of the things that, that Greg McDermott really mentioned when Creighton lost to Gonzaga because Creighton didn't even put up you know 0.9 points per possession against Gonzaga. They kind of got shut down, uh, even with Creighton being a pretty good offensive team. And one of the things that he said was, you know, you try and run certain things, and Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs blew some of those things up, and, and Creighton really sort of struggled to adjust, and so if you aren't able to score with Gonzaga, it makes it really, really, really tough to keep up. The interesting thing will be USC can keep Gonzaga down to some extent, you know, because Gonzaga is the nation's best, you know, two-point percentage team offensively. And so you, so you have, you know, sort of this immovable object meets unstoppable force type thing with USC's two point defense and, and how easily Gonzaga scores on the interior. But the problem is, is Gonzaga gets that from all five spots. It's not that they shoot a high percentage because Yudoka Azabuki's dunking on everybody, and that's why they're shooting well from two. It's because all five of their guys, I think their worst starter. In two-point field goal percentage this year is Jalen Suggs, who shoots fifty-eight point three percent on two. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how many of those guys can attack the rim and and can get points inside the arc. And so they're going to slow Gonzaga down maybe a little bit, but at the same time, if USC isn't hitting shots and isn't hitting outside shots specifically. I just have a hard time seeing USC putting up enough points to keep up with even a somewhat slowed down Gonzaga.
1: So the last game tonight, UCLA going up against Michigan. And I said yesterday, I felt like before we saw any either of those games last night, I felt like UCLA was the one underdog I thought had the best chance of pulling off an upset. And there's just something about the way they've played that feels a little bit less fluky than maybe we've seen with USC or Oregon State and even Arkansas. I just thought didn't look good the first three games of that tournament, so I didn't expect them to be able to win a game against the best team they've seen. But UCLA seems a little bit different because they're the one team I think you could look at and say they had a niche coming into the tournament. They shoot the ball really well, and they've continued to shoot the ball well so far in the tournament. Do you give them a chance tonight against Michigan?
3: Sure, I, I absolutely give him a chance. I, I do think Michigan wins, but I think that UCLA maybe more than any team left in the field knows exactly who it is, and you you kind of just hit on that, you know. And part of that I think is because of the injuries and the different things that they had. You know, they were supposed to have a five-star point guard come in, and Dyshon Nix, who wound up, you know, signing with UCLA, but ultimately went to play on the G League Ignite team. Then everybody said, "Okay, well, they're all Pac-12 guy and they're all America guy is Chris Smith. And they wind up losing him, I think, eight games into the season for for the season. And so because of that, it's kind of, you know, I know most of the audience here are Kansas fans. It's kind of like the 2012 team where, yes, you would rather have more depth than not. But the flip side of that is is a lot of times when you have blows to your depth, everybody really understands what their job is. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting about this UCLA team, is you're going to have Jaime Hawkes, you know, scoring where he scores. Johnny Juzang knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Tiger Campbell knows what his role is. And so when you can go up and down the roster and everybody understands exactly what their job is to contribute to winning I, I think there's something to be said for that
1: two guys entering the transfer portal with tyon grant foster and tristan Inaruna, one of those spots already filled by bobby pettiford the point guard formerly a louisville commit don't know exactly how much he's going to figure into the mix but with still one spot available what type of player do you expect kansas is going to go after
3: you know, it, it's kind of funny because I, I've always said you take what Bill Self says a lot of times as a grain of salt because he, he's always speaking to somebody, right? When those of us who, who have covered him, you know, when he has a, a press conference, I mean, Nick, how many times have you covered him and Frank Mason has dropped 25 points and he comes into the postgame press conference and says, I thought Landon Lucas was the best player on the floor tonight. <laughs> and obviously it's not that he just failed to notice what Frank Mason was doing, but he was sending a, a message with, with what he was saying. And so it, it came out at the same time, it came out almost a little bit staggering when you heard him talking after the USC loss and saying, Hey, we've got to get more athletic and we we've got to get longer, you know, if we want to compete for, for national titles. And, and I think the thing that's interesting about that is when you look at the two guys in the transfer portal, sort of the one guy that you could look at on the roster and circle and say, okay, Bill Self has this guy who would make them longer and more athletic if he would play more often Was Tyon Grant Foster. And and so I think with with him entering, it it wouldn't be any surprise to me if Kansas, you know, went out and pursued another guy who, you know, is potentially sort of that long rangey, you know, wing type of guy. The biggest thing that, that Kansas needs and that you're gonna see Kansas pursue as a point guard. I don't think that's any surprise to to anybody listening. But I, I also think that it would be interesting, you know, to see if they do wind up going for somebody in that Grant Foster mold. As strange as that sounds, just just somebody who can add some some length and athleticism to a roster that didn't really have a, a ton of that this year. And when you look at what they have returning, you know, at center with David McCormick, what they have coming in, and Sidney Curry, I think you're okay at the five. You know, I and so I think the, the two spots that you're really looking at are, are a point guard and a wing with some length who could potentially add something defensively in there as
1: well. But I wonder about the wing, the length, because I'm looking at the – I get it, one-year sample size, but I'm looking at the team's – I'm looking at Houston and Baylor and Gonzaga, who I expect to win. Like, those aren't teams that you'd say their biggest strength is their length and athleticism. It's, yeah, they have, maybe you have a long athletic point guard in Jalen Suggs, right? You've got um, uh, these sort of unicorn type players and Mark Vidal, who are just lockdown defenders, Davion Mitchell. Houston is perfecting small ball right now. You, I mean, I, I know you're not saying, um, exclusively going after length and athleticism but just given the fact that you know Tristan and Aruna and Ty and Grant Foster were long athletes and they couldn't find the floor for KU at times this year wouldn't you be better suited to go all in on just finding more playmakers ball handlers shot creators for next year?
3: Sure, and I think if you can find somebody that can do, you know, both. Obviously, you would love to have that. You know, if, if you can find that that quote unquote unicorn who is the the long range athlete who can create, et cetera. If you can get Houston's Dejon Sherot, for instance, then you're sitting pretty because he can play make for other players. He can score somewhat for himself, and he's a he's a long, you know athletic defender who, who really, you know, helped shut down Ethan Thompson and, and helped get Houston to the Final Four through a lot of that. I, I think they're uh, I think you're on to something and the best player available makes a lot of sense. And I, I realize that that sounds like a you know a no duh sort of comment. You know, hey, if you can go get an all American, go get an all American. <laughs> but but at the same time I, I do think that when you look at this year's Kansas roster and, and you, you say, okay, if you could add some type of player to them to make them better, it's not necessarily adding a point guard, and it's not necessarily adding a center or a small forward or, or whatever else. It's adding a star, right? It's adding the one guy that everybody has to account for. I think if you took Austin Reeves, for instance, who, who played that role for Oklahoma, and put him on this year's Kansas team, I think you would have seen Kansas get significantly better because of the way that the defenses have to account for him, the extra attention he attracts and all of that. And so I'm interested to see with the point guard spot, you know, is it somebody like Ty Ty Washington, you know, one of the top recruits out there who could potentially come in and be have that sort of star power or whatever else? Do you feel like maybe you've got that guy on roster? You know, could Bryce Thompson be a guy in his second year that that brings that? Or Jalen Wilson? You know, it, it's easy to forget since he's been here two years. This was his first year really playing, and, and so there's a leap there that Wilson could make as well. And so I, I do think the best player available does hold some merit in, in everything, but at the same time, I also think if you're looking at specific archetypes and and who could really help out. If you could get somebody with with length, a multi-positional defender, based on what you're losing, especially in Marcus Garrett, potentially, that makes a lot of sense.
1: He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all of his work at 247sports.com. You can hear him here every Tuesday on RCST. Always appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you, man.
2: Thanks a lot, Nick.